Welcome back to the Photo Banter Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gagne, and on today's podcast, I speak with legendary photographer and director Estevan Oriol. Estevan has worked with clients such as Cadillac, Nike, GQ, Rolling Stone, and Complex, to name a few. Estevan has photographed everyone from Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, Kim Kardashian, Dennis Hopper, and Snoop Dogg, to name a few. He got his start as a tour manager for music acts such as Cypress Hill and House of Pain, where he discovered a love of photography and began documenting various musicians around the globe while on tour. For over 25 years, Estevan has been documenting LA culture that includes famous athletes, musicians, artists, as well as Latino, urban, gang, and tattoo culture lifestyles. Estevan is hands down one of my favorite photographers of all time, so it was a real honor to get a chance to sit down and speak with him about his work. So I hope you enjoy it, and thanks so much for listening. All right. Well, Estevan Oreo, uh, welcome to the podcast, man. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. Thank you, Alex. I've been uh, following your work since I was in high school, so I was like really excited to get out here and talk to you. Um, and I got to say... Uh, out of all the like hundreds of people I've interviewed and setting up stuff, when I emailed you to set this up, man, you were like so on it. You responded right away. Um, where's that like hustle come for you? Because like following you along on Instagram, you're just always grinding, always working on something. I guess I got that from <clears throat> early on when I was a kid. You know, my um, my mom kind of instilled that in me. Mm. She just was always, you know, like pushing me to work hard and you know just be the best and um I, i've been doing that ever since you know mm -hmm. i've been my mom was disabled when i was eight years old so i always wanted to help her and we we're on like welfare and medical and that whole trip so i wanted to help her and do you know get more mm -hmm. for us for sure and my dad and her uh separated when i was three so my dad, I was only seeing him during holidays and summertime, so it was pretty much me and my mom, and it was about me hustling for us. Mm -hmm. And I started working when I was 12 years old. Um, I had like little summer jobs that I would always do. I'd work on fishing boats or whatever. Just whatever, like there where they would have a kid work, I would get those little kind of jobs and I just kept doing it every summer and then when I was old enough to finally work I'd get like you know two jobs at a time or one job during the the school year mm. and you know basically you know I just learned how to work my ass off you know mm. and especially with photography as you know it's this non-stop it's just, it's not like a normal job because you never know where the next one's coming right yeah freelance work is probably the hardest work that a person could do it's probably the hardest thing you could put on yourself mm. as far as uh, being a provider for a family or you know as far as having responsibilities you know not knowing where your next check's coming from or when it's going to come you know I have <clears throat> there's jobs that I do where I don't get paid one two three months down the line and I'm on them yeah. you know bugging them but like you said you know when people hit me up I'm right on it you know I get the job done and I, you know I'm quick yeah but they're not so quick paying you 
have you have you got used to like i don't know the stress of like like i said you don't know where the next job's coming from you're waiting to get paid from clients um are you just kind of used to it at this point or does it give you a lot of stress this is the kind of day-to-day or no way the stress is there yeah it's like full-blown like (laughs) sometimes you know like i'm watching my bank account just going down 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 and then you know, you get in this like kind of panic mode, but every time it works out. You know, it's like I've learned in the in my life that at the end everything always works out, mm-hmm. or if it doesn't, you know, it wasn't supposed to. But obviously, if you work so hard at something, then it's supposed to work out at the end. You know, so I've been like that. You know, this this whole journey in the photography, I've always. Um, busted my ass and you know done above and beyond what people expected from me mm. on the jobs and uh and that's why i get hired back i think with a lot of clients yeah and like when you were growing up did you have like a big family like a lot of siblings or was was kind of life growing up for you like what were you kind of interested in as a kid was it like always arts and photography and things like that or what was kind of early on life like it for you um my childhood was just me and my mom. Mm. I had no brothers and sisters. I had a lot of cousins. My dad's uh, Mexican side of the family. He had 10 brothers and sisters, and they all had multiple kids. So I had a lot of cousins growing up. So around the holidays and summer times, when I'd spend time with my dad, I got to see all my, my cousins, and that was always great. Yeah. But for the most part, it was me and my mom and i always treated my friends like my brothers like i always felt like my friends were brothers to me mm. and um later in life you know you get in you get with certain crews and like those are like your family those are your brothers mm-hmm. and for me i was a rowdy kid i couldn't sit still i'd always uh, mess up in class and like kind of like the class clown and I always had to pay for it, you know. I was always sent outside or sent to the the dean's office, and always getting, you know, kicked out of school or some kind of um, repercussions to the way I was acting. So I was always on, you know, probably they, they say like the fuck up. And uh, you just didn't like school. I just didn't like authority. Mm. I didn't like people telling me what to do, how to do it and i was gonna do it my way that's what i thought yeah. and uh but there's always somebody that'll put you in line mm. no matter at what point in your life as far as you know when you're in a any type of where there's authority there's always someone that can you know sit you down mm-hmm. and uh in school it was the teachers and the deans you know when you get out it's the police and if you want to go further it's the the prisons you know so if you're if you want to be that bad kid uh, there's always a place for you yeah and it's always open 24 hours seven days a week 365 yep and like looking at some of your work like you photographed everyone from like a-list celebrities to athletes and like guys like maddie matheson uh, a celebrity chef and then you you photographed like uh this like some like la like gang culture stuff and like you were just saying like you can take a wrong path what do you think kind of like kept you on the right path like being around some of that you think i would say um my i had a cousin that was a gang member and he 
was always telling me like the the war stories you know and they sounded cool and i was like damn that sounds cool and that's crazy and everything but then he would he was the guy that all the family looked down on and he was always you know busted or something was always going on with him and my dad you know would tell me hey man you know this is what happens to these kind of people and this is what happens if you you know do the right thing and you work hard and so I kind of stuck to that. I learned um, one of the things that I always stuck with is kind of listening to my elders and learning from them and learning from their mistakes so that I didn't have to make them on my own. Um, I've gotten in trouble a couple of times with police. You know, I've gotten arrested a few times and just those little short things were no, no fun, you know, mm. just even being... I guess like you know when they pull you over and they handcuff you and it looks like you're going to jail and all that it, like the the adrenaline is fun but after you're like fuck I'm glad I didn't you know have to, have to go to jail tonight you know I'm glad they let me go and I got to drive my lowrider home yeah um yeah because like for me like looking at that work it's like a, it, it's a, a look into a world that like the way I grew up, I came up like pretty privileged where I, where I live and like I was lucky and like seeing some of these guys like do you think there's like any misconceptions people have when they look at these photos of like some of these like like gang members and things like this like some of the guys have all the tattoos on their face um, like what what would you hope people would take away when they look at some of these like photos you know well everybody's human you know everybody uh, has good sides to them everybody has bad sides of them some people are just better at hiding it and uh you know as you can see now in the news all the kinds of weirdos that are coming out and you look at all those shows of people that came up missing and got killed you know they're not 95 percent of the the things that i see on these tv shows aren't mexican gang members mm. they're all like normal looking white guys they took a girl off into the forest and hacked her up into a hundred pieces and and fed her to his pig farm back home or some weird shit like that. Yep. And you know you see all these shootings in the malls and and the schools. You know they're not mixing guys tatted up all over their face. You yep. know they're just normal yep. white kids that are just losing it. You know mm -hmm. just blow a fuse and go in and say hey fuck it I'm gonna go shoot up the mall today or. I'm going to take my dad's uh, AR-15 to school and just fucking lay down 20 kids. Yeah. So, in a way, it's kind of like, you know, I want to show people that all these guys that I kick it with are, you know, they're human, they have a good size of them, they have families, they have kids, and they do good shit, you know, and sometimes they just make bad choices. Mm. Most of those bad choices are behind drugs and alcohol. And uh, that ends them up into, you know, end up in prison. And because of the stereotype, you know, they get like longer sentences and they get, they don't get the white privilege, you know, getting uh, let go and, you know, a slap on the wrist or all that. They just go straight to prison, maximum sentence, right or wrong, you know, don't matter. They can't afford a lawyer, so they're going and they'll be gone for a while. But, like, our community has become kind of, like, used to that, you know? Like, oh, you know, he got busted. He's going to go do some time. 
Whereas you see like that lady, the actress that got busted for the, the bribing the colleges. Oh, yeah. She got 14 days in federal prison. She only did 11. Be- yeah. yeah. 11 days in prison for fucking doing some crazy ass federal crime, you know? Yeah. Whereas if that was uh, what me or one of my friends, fuck, they would have thrown the book at us and we'd be doing like five to ten years, you yeah. know? Yeah. But, you know, because it, it is who it is, you know, they get the 14-day sentence and get let out on good time, you know? Like, how do you do bad time in 14 days? Mm-hmm. You know, what the fuck are you doing in 14 days? You're going to just sit in your room and shut the fuck up and get out, you know? So... It's crazy to me, you know, the way that society is and the way the system is and the shit that they get away with doing to people, you know. Yeah. And um, I just like to shoot, you know, people that I'm around and that that I hang out with or that I have fun with or, you know, people that look cool to me. Yeah, because that's like the thing I've always been drawn to your work is like, like I said, you photograph all different types of people where it's like one day you could be photographing like robert de niro and then like the next day it's like kim kardashian and then it's like this actor like have you always been comfortable this like as a photographer you know being able to like communicate well with people is that something you've always just been able to be able to talk to different people in different situations when you're photographing them is that something you're always good at or did you kind of grow at it over time of like working at this you think i think that uh Sometimes I'm good at it, sometimes I'm not, you know. With Al Pacino and Robert De Niro, I had four and a half minutes to do the shoot total. Yeah. So how much, how good of could I have been at talking to them, you know? If I wanted to get any pictures done, I'd just shut up and shoot, you know? Yeah. So there was a couple of things I said to them just to break the ice, you know, like I knew Robert De Niro's uh, stepdaughter. And I had been at a party for Harry, Harry Dean Stanton, uh, his birthday party, and Al Pacino was there, and I just brought that up to him. There was a couple of little things I just said as icebreakers, and they're like, oh, yeah, okay, okay, cool. Yeah. Is this chair cool, or should I change it? Because I hear the little squeaking. Oh. Uh, I didn't, hear it? Yeah, I didn't notice it. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's fine. Um, anyways, sometimes, you know, you get to talk to people, and sometimes you don't, and... Um, you know if you're obviously if you're on a longer shoot you talk to people and you get cool with them um some of these shoots are you know short and fast and over with before you know it or before you want it to be over do you like that pressure sometimes where you only get a couple minutes do you feel like sometimes does it work in your favor like that type having that pressure where you know you have to execute or what's your take on those like short shoots you think um they're great you know because I don't want to be there all day torturing anybody and I don't want to be tortured but it does definitely put you in a position to perform mm. and I think I perform good under pressure mm. uh, it, it is a little bit nerve wracking you know when you have two of the biggest stars in the world and you've you've idolized them for 20 years and they're standing in front of you yep. and they say okay here it is shoot and after one roll of 220 or 110 they cut me off you know they're like okay 10 shots you're done i was like but this is for the movie poster you know can i get a couple more and they're like okay just a couple more they let me shoot five more yeah and because i was shooting on a pentax six seven and that was it it was over they're like okay thank you 
And I was like, fuck, can I at least finish the second roll? You know, and they're like, oh, got to go. Bobby out. Let's go. We got to get to the shot. Yeah. And so it's kind of like, you know, luckily I know how to perform under pressure and I'm good enough to, you know, get a shot like that. But, Mm. you know, I've seen a lot of photographers that shoot back in the day would shoot, you know, 50 to 100 rolls to get a couple shots. I had 15 frames to get a movie poster, you Mm -hmm. know, so that kind of pressure is like, you know, it makes you shit or get off the pot, you know, and I've had to, uh, you know, do that throughout my career. And I learned it watching when I was a tour manager for, for, uh, Cypress Hill and House of Pain, I was a person that would set up the press. Yeah. And the record label would say, hey, you got four things to press tomorrow. You know, just have the guys do it in an hour. Give each each magazine or radio, you know, station or whatever, whoever it was, 15 minutes per interview. Yeah. And then, you know, cut them off and get to the next one. And, and so that was like the, what they told me the first time. And so I just learned how to, you know, schedule the press throughout the years. And I would watch the the magazine people come in and do the interview and the photo shoots. And I always noticed that the interviewer would always take up almost the whole 15 minutes. Yep. And the poor photographers just Five sitting minutes. there panicking, it's going like, fuck, how am I supposed to get like, you know, four to 10 pages of photos? Yeah in five minutes of this you know band that sold 25 million albums yeah you know so you could see the the pressure and the stress on them when when you're watching them and i would that's how i kind of started telling magazines like hey if you want any backstage or or live shots of the band yeah. you know i have them nice and at first you could tell they're kind of like oh the fucking roadies over here trying to pitch his photos but then they would look at them and they're like fuck this is kind of cool you know like because you had you had access yeah i had access and and i could point and shoot you know not everybody can do that i can give you know people say why do you give away all your information on your posts like i tell them what kind of camera i have what kind of film what kind of lens everything because you can do that and not everybody will get a shot yeah. like i've seen thousands of people take pictures that were horrible yep. i'm like what the fuck did they see like yeah. they didn't see like just to move this little bit it's... or you know frame it like that or not tilt the camera or there was always something that i could see where i was like oh they almost got it yeah yeah it's like your vision your your understanding of composition and lighting and how you interact with your subjects and every photographer does it differently yeah yeah so like you know for me um you know i could give away all that information and feel confident and not care Mm -hmm. really you know like you know like my friend here he's from another country visiting here and he's a photographer so he's out here wanting to capture different you know type of photos i'll take him with me whatever i'm shooting be like hey is it cool if my friend gets some shots and yeah go ahead yeah. and they, and they go and take some pictures while i'm reloading the camera or whatever you know or when i'm done because i'm not uh you know i'm not pressured by that you know I, and i know he's good enough to not shoot the exact same angle the exact same frame as me you know i go hey just walk you know 10 feet over and you know get something else and it's it's good like that you know yeah. like i'm 
when I go places, I meet people and they share things with me. You know, I've been to 56 countries, so I've I've met a lot of people and I've gotten a lot of, you know, invitations into different places and I've gotten to shoot a lot of cool things. Yeah, that's amazing because, as you know, this is like an incredibly competitive business and it's only gotten more competitive since digital, in my mind. Like, I think that's awesome because I know so many photographers that they won't tell you, like, how they've shot something and they won't even... I know photographers that won't even tell you who they're working for or anything. Like, what do you think it is that you kind of have, like, an open door to, like, people, that, anything they want to ask you, pretty much? Because I'm not scared, you know? Yeah. I'm not afraid of... Uh, I've had... I've taken photographers with me on shoots that were my assistants. Yeah. And I've had them undercut me to my clients and end up taking my clients from me mm. you know i'm charging them 10 g's a day they'll say hey i, I can do it for a thousand a day yep. and i could you know shoot it digital and put a fake uh sloppy border on the photo turn it black and white and you'll have this devon oreo version mm -hmm. i've had it i've had that happen to me you know a few times yeah but you know, if people are pieces of shit like that, then that's on them, you know? They have to sleep with that at night, and I don't, you know? Mm -hmm. I know that I was being a good person and bringing them on a shoot and, you know, introducing them. And some people might say, well, you're an idiot, you know? Yeah. You fucked that off yourself. But to me, it's like, you know, it is what it is. You know, people do scandalous shit all the time, and they think that that's cool, and, you know, fuck them. That's cool, I guess, with them. I, I agree. I think I'm the same way. Like, I'm, I'm down to help out any person I can, because I know in my small circle of, like, photographer friends, it can go either way. Like, I might be booked on a job, and then I give them my friend's name, and then it can go this way. So I think... I don't know if you view it this way. If you're like a part of this like photography community, it can it can go both ways. Yeah, I've helped out you know multiple people, mm. and uh, probably ninety percent of them have turned their back on me. But you know, yeah, that's just human nature. You know, yeah, it's like feast or famine. Yeah, it's just people do that shit. But it's like you know, I'm cool. I'm still working. Yep. I'm still here. I'm still have all my shit. You know, mm -hmm. still got my house. Still got my my lowrider. And my bills are still getting paid, so that's all that I, I care about, you know. Yep. I got what I, I need, yep. and if there's a little bit of extra money coming in, I get what I want. Mm. And you were mentioning you were, like, tour managing for House of Pain. Um, how did you kind of get into that world? Was was music something that you were really interested in, or, like, how did that kind of come about for you? Well, I've listened to music all my life. My mom used to listen to, you know, old soul, R&B and um, my dad also, you know, I grew up listening to like the Marvin Gaye's and R.L. Green type of music and got into listening to Led Zeppelin, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Doors, all the classic rock. And because of my age bracket, I was there when punk rock first came out. I was there when hip hop first came out. So right away I became fans of that because that was the new thing. Hmm. And at that time, there was R&B, country, and rock. And that was it. So when punk rock got introduced, it was like something, you know, aggressive and hardcore. And you can go to the shows and punch, get punched in the face and punch people in the face. And it was fun. Yeah. When hip-hop came, it was like some, you know, hardcore shit you could, you know, bob your head to. And, you know, almost the same type of energy as punk rock, mm -hmm. just in a different genre of people. Yeah, and um, they were great times, and so 
me growing up with all that, you know, I used to go to clubs when I was underage. I'd fake my ID. Started going to a bunch of hip-hop clubs. And when I became old enough, I started working at them. I had known everybody already. And I started doing the door and the guest list. And, um, you know, people get it kind of like think that well, if you work at a club as the doorman or the, or the guest is like that you're the big bouncer type guy, you know. And even people that would go to the club would think if they saw you in a suit working at a club that you were the, the bouncer and they would try to like test you and shit like that. Yeah. You know, which was okay with me. I didn't mind. And um, I met all the people in the music industry working at the clubs. I met, you know, the guys from Cypress Hill. I met Everlast in the 80s and I met uh, Muggs from Cypress Hill in about 89, maybe 88. And he took me down to Cypress Avenue where I met Be Real and Sand Dog in 1989. Then around 92, in 91, the Cypress album came out. And I was around, you know, we were all good friends. And in 92, Muggs was like, hey man, I got a new group coming out, some white boys. I want you to be the road manager. I was like, okay, cool, what is that? And he's like, you know, you just make sure they get to their shows on time, do their interviews, and, you know, check them into hotels and get on, you know, make sure they get on their flights. I was like, okay, cool. At first, it don't pay no money, but we'll cover all the expenses, and it'll be a good little summer trip for you. And I was like, all right, cool. So I asked my boss that did construction. I was like, hey, if I, can I get my job back if I go do this for the summer? He's like, no problem. You're my best guy. I asked my bosses at the clubs, and they're like, fuck yeah, go for it, you know? Yeah. And they knew, you know, what it was and who it was for. And uh, Muggs told me, you know, it's not Cypress Hill. It's a new grab, new group I have coming out called House of Pain. And there's some white boys. And I was like, uh-oh, you know, because at that time it was only um, Vanilla Ice. third base and Vanilla Ice. Yeah. You know, and I was like... You know, everybody was clowning, like, the whole Vanilla Ice movement, and they they respected uh, third base. You know, this is all within seconds of talking about this, and Muggs goes, yeah, some white boys, you know Everlast. I go, oh, fuck yeah, that's the homie, you know. He used to be down with Rhyme Syndicate and come to the clubs with Ice-T and Donald D and that whole circle, Evil E and Hen G. So I knew all them through through the club scene, and... We started going out with House of Pain and Jump Around took off. Wow. Like, like almost automatically. And so they started, uh, at first we started doing promo tours, started doing shows and stuff just for, to get the record out for free. Yep. And um, shortly after that, we started getting paid to do club, uh, club appearances where they would just perform Jump Around. And like an intro, the the whole set was seven minutes. So sometimes we'd go to two, three clubs a night in a city and do jump around and, and bounce and go to the next club. And, and, you're, in, and, and you're in charge of organizing all this stuff, make yeah. sure everyone gets there. I gotta make, we were rolling in limos or vans, and I used to have to make sure everybody got in and we had our equipment and this and that. I would set up the equipment, the turntables and the, the mixer and the DAT player, whatever we had to play the music. And we would just um, bounce around in these cities, and we started collecting money, and it was cash. And each night, the guys would break me off. You know, if they had a thousand bucks, they're like, you know, each club was like a thousand bucks, so they take three hundred bucks each and go, hey, give the homie a hundred bucks out of the show. Yeah. You know, I was like the fourth member, but I wasn't on stage. I was the, doing everything else. 
So, you know, you figure 100 bucks a show, two shows, three shows a night, you know, a couple of nights a week. Pretty good. It's pretty good money. Yeah. Then it turned into big tours. You know, we we ended up going on the tour with um, Beastie Boys. Wow. One summer, we didn't make it all the way through because um, we got kicked off the tour. But after that, it was just full-blown House of Pain tours. And, you know, we did 92, 93, 94. And then they broke up. And right when they broke up, the tour manager from Cypress Hill had done some scandalous shit to them. And they were like, hey, homie, we need a, a tour manager. You know, can you come out with us? You know, we heard you're off the road with House of Pain. I was like, fuck yeah. So the first show was Woodstock 94. Damn. And they're like, you know, this is your test to see, you know, how you handle shit. And I flew in with Bobo. And we flew on the plane with two of the members of Jefferson Starship. And uh, flew in a, a helicopter to the, with them backstage and landed. And How old are you at this point? Uh, 94. I was 28. Wow. Cool. So... Um, or right before 20, 27 yeah and some change and uh we fly in the backstage henry rollins is on stage doing his thing and we're up next and we loaded all the equipment on and went on and smashed killed it like the whole crowd went buck wild there was people like the there was uh it had rained before so there they had put plywood all along the um grass area mm-hmm. the kids ripped them the plywood out of the out of the ground and they're putting it over their head and people were jumping on that and they're just passing the the wood with the person standing on top of it through the crowd so that's how they were crowd surfing like on top of a piece (laughs) of plywood and then it just became like mud heaven like everybody was fucking full of mud and it was probably one of the coolest experiences ever and there was only two ways to that show that day for the bands one was on a boat and the other was in the helicopters. And when the show was over, the the main manager took everybody and said, okay, come on, guys, let's go. There's a boat leaving right now. Take us back to the hotels. And I didn't know because I'm up on stage getting the equipment. Gear, yeah. Everybody splits, and I'm st- stuck there. They're stuck with all the equipment by myself. Jeez. But, you know, I had to make it happen. Mm-hmm. And... uh I was like, hey, you know, how do I get out of here? And they're like, oh, you know, this every everything is a, um, assigned to a band each time they get off stage. So if there was a van there, they're waiting for the band that got off stage at that time. Yep. So basically, Hop there was no out. more vans oh, no. for me. Damn. They were all for other bands. And so I was kind of fucked. I had all this equipment, and I met somebody there. And they're like, hey, you know, you were with Cyprus. I go, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, yeah, I'm a big fan. I go, oh, well, we're going to, I'm going to an after party with them if you want. And, you know, if you want to, um, you know, um, if you won't give me a ride, you know, you can come to the after party. And luckily they had a van. Yeah. They're like, oh, yeah, cool. Let's go. And I load all the equipment in their van and went to the after party. Yeah. But if that had never happened, I don't know what would happen, you know, just like 
shit works out you know damn at the end everything works out i guess you passed the test man <laughs> got you know back to the hotel with all the equipment in one piece and they're like hey where you been and i was like what the fuck you mean where have i been the fucking i'm had to break down all the i was equipment. getting shit done <laughs> yeah you know you guys are all kicking it here at the bar at the hotel and i was you know making it happen yeah was like the tour lifestyle something did you enjoy it like back then is it did it kind of wear on you after a time or no i loved every minute of it and um i love to travel and see the world and see different cultures mm. and i tried to mimic that with my photography career like i try to work my books like like a band would work a record you know as far as the promotions and the you know doing the book signings and doing art shows is kind of like doing you know uh shows with the bands and doing you know press like the bands would do yeah that's what i've always respected about you not only your work is amazing but you have these like 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 you said you kind of model it after the music business like i've noticed you sell merchandise like you yeah. like your shirt you're wearing i think you even make like like iphone cases and yeah. all different types of stuff i think you're involved with a clothing company called joker brand is yeah. that correct yeah like was that kind of basically how you kind of like you said you kind of modeled after how the music did it because a lot of photographers don't really do that kind of stuff well i had been doing clothing before mm. i was doing a, a clothing company and then i got into the band thing and then i just learned how to do it better mm. you know i was doing i was handling all the merch for the bands yeah so by learning that i applied that to my own yeah and it just it started taking off mm -hmm. and i had a full-blown clothing company we used to go to the magic shows in vegas yep. and set up meetings with customers and sell you know worldwide distribution yep and i just applied everything to everything i was doing everything that i would learn from one business i would apply it to my other businesses yeah so i i knew how to do the photography and the video and the clothing and the tour managing and i just put all those together and use it in every different realm that i'm in yeah and you seem like you you're constantly like evolving like you you've um your social media you're like you're always on top of it your instagram you're always like posting stuff um, you have your YouTube channel where you post different videos you're working on. Um, like you did a really amazing like little mini doc with uh, Nipsey Hussle when he passed away. Um, was like with social media and stuff because I know like plenty of photographers when something new comes up they kind of shy away from it. But you kind of when you see a new lane to try to try something out you kind of you're happy to kind of adapt with it pretty much. Yeah, because uh, you either um, go right or get left. You know, mm -hmm. so if you don't go with the times you know you get left behind yeah and i kind of did get left behind because i was i stuck to the whole film thing i didn't get into the digital i was anti-digital and i was anti-social media at first you know i was like i don't have time for that shit i'm trying to you know work out here i don't have time to be playing on my phone and posting little pictures here and there but you know I had to learn like my friends were like hey you're gonna miss this shit and it's gonna you're gonna get on when it's too late mm -hmm. and I was like alright fuck it and I got with the program and everything's been going good you know like I would say um, the ins the social media filled the gap of of magazines and and pretty much like your work you know because like you used to count on magazines to get your work out there 
like doing an ad for another company or doing an editorial or doing an interview. That's how you would get your work out. Well, because all the magazine business died, there's no real magazines anymore. You have to do it yourself. You have to put your own advertisements out there, your own articles, your own editorials, and you put it on a place called Instagram. And so it's kind of like that's your own magazine that you're in charge of yeah. to do your own ads, to show your own work, and to do your own, you know, editorials or whatever. Yeah, you can just go straight direct to consumer and like, uh, and you're like really well, like you interact with all your fans and stuff. Like anybody repost your stuff, you always post it. Yeah. You tell like interesting stories because like a lot of times people that post stuff up there to post it, but you have like really interesting stories. Like one, um, I thought was really interesting. You photographed the boxer Johnny Tapia. I think. Yeah, I love him. Yeah, uh, great boxer. Um, And you told like an interesting story about how when you shot him, you only shot two rolls and you regretted that you wish you would have shot more. And it was just kind of like, I think those kind of stories is what kind of sets people apart because people can kind of relate to it. Because I think every photographer has been there where they're like, I wish I would have shot more. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, there's, I missed out on so much shit because you get caught up in this thing like where you got hired for a magazine to just go shoot this job yeah and it's like okay what's the job we need one vertical shot for a one-page story so but if i had went go to shoot a 10-page story i would have shot you know 10 rolls of film but because it was a one-page story i was like oh fuck i only need one vertical shot of him how hard could this be yeah i'll just shoot one roll of film and and it's over i was like man cool thank you johnny we went to eat after he told me a crazy ass story of how him and his brother were back to back in the house with a fucking fbi uh standoff you know they're about to have a shootout with the fbi and i was like or the feds or whatever and i was like man this is crazy like i'm here with johnny tapia and he's telling me this crazy ass story and like how cool is this you know but after that i thought man i should have shot more pictures of this guy like you know now i'm i'll never have a chance to shoot him again i was right there with him and i only shot one roll of film and he was down like if i would have said hey johnny can i shoot five more rolls of film he would have been like yeah sure yeah so why didn't i you know because i just got hung up in the what the magazine told me they wanted which was one shot you know and there's there's so many times where I've where I've done that and I'm bummed now, you know, like I just did what the magazine asked for and I didn't do what what I sh- what I could have done or should have done. Yeah, it's like those opportunities don't happen all the time. So it's like you almost got to squeeze every last ounce out of it that you can because it could be like another book or another promo yeah. and it's kind of build on it. Right. Yeah, that's what you should do. Yeah. But me, big dummy, I fucking just shot what they wanted and that was it, you know? I feel like an idiot now, but, you know, what can I do? Yeah, I guess that's... I just got to, you know, do it do it on all the new shit, you know? Yeah. You, you still, like, even this point in your career with everything you've done, you still, like, you're still learning and still evolving as a photographer? Every day. Yeah. Every day I shoot, I learn something new. I still get filmed back where the fucking exposures aren't right. You know, like, and it's because I get so excited when I'm doing the shoot that I'm forgetting to look at the meter every shot. Yeah. And I'm, and I'll be turning, be like, oh, stand over here, stand over there, and I'll, and I'll move when they move, and the light, you know, obviously changes, and so you're supposed to reset and you know, reset all your stuff for the, that light. But 
I'm just so caught up in the moment that I just go with it and I keep shooting and then I get the film back and I'm like, fuck, man, I fucking should have, you know, just turned it a click or two and I would have been right on. But in the labs, they can, you know, pull a stop or push a stop. It's no big deal. But I just like to be the best I could be, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, And I guess, like, when did kind of photography start to come, like your your tour managing and all that, um, when did you take start to take photography more seriously and think that would be like kind of your career was there like a turning point for you yeah when the band started fading apart and they started drifting the the three main members were all the way drifting apart yeah and it was mugs um mugs be real and send dog yeah the three original members of cyprus yeah mugs started doing more um remixes because he'd make such good money on the remixes that it was more money to do one remix than to go on a whole tour mm. so he started doing that then send dog didn't want to tour no more so the band pretty much became me bobo and and be real and that was cypress hill at one time and then we would just bring in other rappers to fill in on the stage where Sendog would be, you know? Yeah. And it, of course it wasn't Sendog, you know? There's only one him. But we had to do what we had to do. And the fans wanted Cypress Hill, you know? And the way we looked at it was, it was kind of like Pink Floyd. Yeah. You know, when they didn't have Sid anymore or Roger Waters, they just carried on as Pink Floyd and got, you know, different members, but played the same songs and gave the fans what they wanted to hear you know mm-hmm. of course the fans wanted the the original three there but they were happy hearing be real and the beats and somebody else doing the ad libs it, it was good enough for them yeah and we ended up touring for years and then it just got to the point where it was like you know kind of felt like nobody wanted to do it no more and i was like well fuck i only get paid when i go on tour i'm not getting paid as a band member and i'm not getting you know royalty music money or anything like that so the only time i get paid is when we're on tour and i'm getting paid a tour manager fee and i was making good money doing photography and directing videos wow because at those times the budgets for album covers were anywhere from ten thousand to two hundred fifty thousand for an album cover <laughs> music videos were anywhere from 20,000 to I think 1.2 million yeah. were the total budgets damn on a video the photographer makes I believe it was like 10% minimum of the video budgets wow so if you're doing a $20,000 it's 2,000 if you're doing 1.2 it's 120 so the photography budget you know you you'd get uh, you know most of the budget after you know lighting and assistance and location and, and food and all that shit so you're making more of the money on the photography shoots but the video budgets were a lot higher mm. so I was going back and forth between music and and um, photography and tour managing and it came to the point where I was like man fuck it I I got to eat, you know, so I just went with the photography and video directing and I never looked back and just kept going with that. And I'm still doing that and my merch and yeah, that's what keeps me alive. And you're 100% self-taught, right? Yeah. That's amazing. My dad taught me how to do it. He said, uh, 
here's the camera look in the in the viewfinder and there's two pins and when those two pins line up by turning the aperture and the speed yeah when they line up each other then it's ready to focus and shoot and that was my photography school that's awesome it was about 30 seconds long and um been doing that ever since brick by brick um and like when you're first kind of starting your photo uh career i guess like how are you kind of getting your work out there who are kind of some of the first clients you're working with and was there like a goal to like what you wanted to do because like looking at what you do now like you you mix between like advertising editorial then you're like in the fine art world which is just like it's all a whole another ball of wax like when you started out like was there like a goal in mind and like what were kind of some of the first clients you're working with i guess the first editorial work i think i got was a japanese magazine called fine magazine and i got a two-page spread in there every month it was called um low life me and cartoon my partner did it oh yeah legendary for uh, it was called uh, low life and it stood for lowrider lifestyle yeah and we did like a two-page um you know homage to lowriding and we'd get i think 800 bucks 400 bucks a page did that every month and i would take the photos and he would draw around the photos and that was one thing that we had and then i started getting like i said earlier um hip-hop work with magazines by shooting you know backstage and live shots of cyprus and pitching those to the magazines that were coming to do the interviews once i learned that little hustle I was like, well, fuck, I'm on tour with all these other bands. You know, we're doing like Lollapaloozas and stuff with Hole and Sonic Youths and all these different kinds of genres of music. I should do the same shit. I'm the only one backstage with a camera. And in the music industry, if you go to shoot a band, you're only allowed to shoot the first two songs. Yeah. But being that I'm on the tour and I have an all-access pass and everybody knows me, I shoot the whole fucking set if I want to, you know? Yeah. And so I had that to offer all these other different kinds of magazines, like the rock magazines and hip hop, but with other groups, not just my group. Mm -hmm. So that was my hustle. Yeah. My little side hustle is shooting every band backstage and on stage and pitching that to all the different music magazines. And then I started getting hired to shoot, you know, like a, a shoot for a band, like, um, one of my my biggest first shoots was Snoop Dogg. It was ten pages on the cover for Rap Pages wow. magazine. There was uh, Rap Pages was a Larry Flint publication, so that was like a big deal to me. And what what year was that? That was in '98. All right, so that that was like Snoop Dogg like heyday like was that yeah. A because when you hear doggy style come out was that like 96 well, they're like 92 was, 92 oh yeah was when he did the first song with dre yeah but you know six years ain't shit because back then people were putting out an album every two years yeah or longer that's when there's still record stores tower records and yeah, all these tower things. warehouse music plus you yeah. know uh virgin records and those were even my hangouts like me i'd take my wife on dates to tower records like i'll go hey you know i want to pick you up and take you out oh where are we going um tower <laughs> records to do what uh we're gonna look at mu uh, we're gonna look at cds uh dvds magazines and and books and she'd be like okay yeah i'll try it and we'd go and i'd just be stuck there for hours looking at shit and buying shit yeah. and you know like that's how that's just how the times were back then mm -hmm. and um 
I love that shit, you know? Yeah. Like, I still have a shitload of magazines and and vinyl and CDs back there in my garage. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I miss that shit. You know, something that you could touch. touch yeah, for sure. Whereas instead of you're just swiping with your finger, you know, yeah. clicking on shit and it's, you know... But like 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 I said, you know, times have changed and you got to evolve. But mm-hmm. I do miss the Tactile. the stuff you could touch. You know, yeah, like the sure. like you know, kids will never have a photo album anymore. Like yeah. I used to go to people's house and trip out and be like, "Hey, you have a photo album?" Yeah, and just like look through their photos and be like, "Oh, that's cool. Oh, you went there <laughs> and this and that." Whereas like now, yeah. kids' photo albums are on their phone. Kid, I know, I know, um, friends, kids they have a hashtag for their kid. So then yeah. if they like go on Instagram, they just have a hashtag for their kid, and you can yeah. see like from birth to like present. It's wild. Yeah, and anybody could hashtag that, you know. Yeah, it's, any weirdo could just be like, you know, let's look at Kayla's photos, you know, like, oh, who's this one? And they just look at this kid grow. It's kind of weird. Yeah, you know? for sure. Um, and you know, one thing I'm always kind of curious about, like. Um, did it kind of take you a while to find your voice as a photographer? Like, was like style and aesthetic something you you, you spent a lot of time thinking about? Because um, like looking at your work, um, it seems like a lot. You kind of grew up shooting with like thirty five millimeter. I, I seen you always shoot with, like the Canon AE one a lot. And, yeah. Um, did it kind of take you a while to find your voice and like who you were and like what you're trying to do visually? You think? No, I mean. Uh it's not trying to find your way it's just the being the doing the freelance thing you're just always trying to find your way you know you're always trying to find the next one and that's the hardest part for me my style came kind of uh, by accident if you look at it but for me it was just laziness and I got to this point where I didn't want to move the two buttons to match up the needles in the viewfinder. I just would move one. I always kept the aperture at 2.8, and I would just move the speed on the top and just, you know, shoot like that. Mm. So that's why all my stuff had that depth of feel into it, because I always had the the 2.8 setting the whole way through Mm. for all these years. And I didn't notice that for a long time. Mm. I didn't notice. I was like... Because people are like, yeah, I like your style. You know, those things are always in focus and then everything's out of focus. And I was like, fuck, you know, that was me being lazy, just wanting to turn one switch instead of, the, you know, the two va- two knobs or whatever. Yeah. I would just do the one. Yeah. So that I could shoot faster because, you know, if, if you're not fast, you miss the shot sometimes. If you're doing documentary style stuff, you could easily miss the shot if you're not fast enough. So... I was never that guy that just had everything on automatic so that, you know, I got what I got. It was it was always manual and, you know, sometimes I miss it and sometimes I get it. Mm. Yeah, because the thing I really like about your work is, like, a lot of times you look at editorial mag- magazines now and commercial work, there's just a lot of, like, it can be overly lit and, like, super photoshopped and uh, there's lots of this, like, sauce on it, you know? And with yours, yeah. it seems like it's more about composition and this finding these unique people to kind of document pretty much is that kind of how you view it or yeah i mean i don't really i i'm pretty much a daylight shooter Mm. i i don't i mean i could shoot with a flash or i could light in the studio if i want but it's always pretty much one style of lighting even you know even when i do studio work i pretty much like to light it the same so that at least my lighting looks the same all the way through. It's not all mis- mishmashed all over the place, and you can't tell. 
because a lot of like I've had assistants and they'll go by, hey, we we light for Andy Leibowitz or we add, we light for this guy. Do you want us to give you some of that light? And I'm like, no, I'm cool. And they're like, you just want this one light? I go, yeah, yeah. Why? You know, we we know how to. I can set up ten lights, and the shit will look just like this person or that person. I'm like, I'm cool. I don't want to look like them. Yeah. You know, I want it to be my shit, plain and simple, nice and easy, and you know, yeah. it is what it is. And they're like, okay, cool. I respect that. You know, and so when I would do light shoots, you know, I'd do it like that. And I like to shoot during the day. And I don't like to Photoshop at all because to me it's like you're taking the photo and then you're like painting the picture with a computer. Yeah. You know, it's like when you see all the HDR and all this different like Photoshop stuff is, is to me you're not... The photo isn't isn't the photo anymore. It's a photo, and then whatever you painted it with in the computer. Yeah. So it's like half painting, half photograph, and that's cool. Yeah. You know, everybody has their own thing. I like I like to look at it. For you sure. Know? I just don't want it for me. Yeah. I like my stuff to be rough, rugged, and raw. You know, what you see is what you get. Um, but I do like to look at the overly you know Photoshop stuff and HDR stuff, but. To me, you're throwing away, you know, half of the photo. It's no longer that photo that you took that day. It's the photo you took that day, and then all the extra shit you added to make it some bright, beautiful piece of artwork. Yeah. And it's still art, for, but it's just not photography completely, you know? Yeah, it's its own thing. Yeah, because the thing, um, your your book, This Is Los Angeles, which is out now, um, which just kind of documents, like, your work, what is the last 25 years pretty much within that book? Yeah. And the thing that's amazing about it, like you are saying, you kind of found how you shoot because you can look at the work from 25 years ago when you're shooting like uh whatever it is snoop dogg or cypress hill and then you have like portraits of like post malone and all this looks cohesive right which i don't think a lot of photographers i think i know myself i even struggle with that and that's like the most when i look at that body of work it's this it's all one thing it's, yeah it's a uh, it's amazing that's what you know that's what i like about it you know is that <clears throat> i'm doing a new book of um I'm doing a Ruka book. Yep. Ten years of of uh, me going to the North Shore, shooting all their skaters, fighters, uh, surfers, and street artists. And I'm also doing a book on uh, low riding. You know, 25 plus years of me shooting low riding, and looking at all the pictures. Like I don't know. Like I know, but when I look at a picture I shot in 1995 or whatever. Yeah. As opposed to 2019. Yep. The only difference that you can tell in the photo, the photo in 1995, nobody had cameras. Nobody had phones. Yeah. The photo in 2019, everybody has their phone out. Mm-hmm. So it's like, that's the only difference. But if they didn't, if they had their phones in their pockets, you wouldn't know what year it was. The only way you can tell that it's a recent shot yeah. is everybody has their phone out taking photos or filming. Yeah. Yeah. And but my style and the way the photo looks the way it's framed and everything is still the same no it's amazing and with your book this is los angeles like what was your goal with that book because like like i said before like the interesting thing is it's just so many different types of people from all walks of life like when you were putting that book together was like a goal in mind like how did the editing editing process work i guess um well my goal was is uh after i did this is no after i did la woman in 2009 
and LA Portraits in 2013, I believe. I wanted to, I was looking at a, at a Rocky book and um, it said other works that Araki has published and there was 250, 250 books and I was blown away by that and I was like what the fuck <laughs> like I'm over here struggling trying to do two books and this dude's over here in 250 books Yeah. so I started thinking to myself like if I can do 10% of that you know I'm satisfied mm -hmm. I think I'll be satisfied and I'm 53 now so if I put out, I'm at two, I'm at three books now. If I put out 22 books a year, each year, I'll be uh, 75. There you go. You know what I mean? Yeah. But imagine all that work. Hell yeah. But uh, you know, I have over 500,000 photos at my at my place, net shot on negative, Damn. and then I have a couple hundred thousand shot digitally, but. With with all these uh, books that I want to do of my past career, I want to do of all the stuff that I shot on film. So when I was doing this as Los Angeles, I was thinking, I have all this work. I want to show a little bit of everything. So if I need to do a little book off of each genre that I shot in here, because it's pretty much uh, women, low riding, gangsters, celebrities, musicians, and like LA icons. So. I wanted to, to do a little sample of each category so that later if I do a hip-hop book, people will know, okay, well, we saw what he do, how he does shoots hip-hop. We saw how he shoots celebrities. We saw how he shoots low-riding. And it'll be just like an introduction into that genre mm -hmm. of work that I have done. Mm -hmm. So that's what, that was what my goal was with that. Because before I did L.A. Woman and L.A. Portraits, I put out a deck of cards and it was half women and i put them in the hearts and the diamonds oh like playing cards yeah wow so the women were like you know hearts and diamonds because diamonds are a girl's best friend and they all into love <laughs> and then i did the spades and the clubs as all the street shit yep. the guys the cars you know all the manly shit and and i saw that 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 had a good reaction from the people that's when i came out with la women and that's when i came out with la portraits so this is kind of like another little teaser into what I have coming out wow. in the years to come. That's amazing. Um, you had some really nice photos of uh, you shot of Nip Nipsey Hussle, who uh, passed away earlier this year. Yeah. Um, and then you also did a really um, little mini doc on your YouTube channel. I think it was like the day of his funeral. And it was pretty uh, powerful, like the amount of people that came out um, to show respect to him. Um, I guess, like, what was kind of your experience photographing him, photographing him, and what do you think, like, what did he mean to, like, Los Angeles, you think? Uh, my experience with photographing him was, uh, it was cool, you know, it was, like, new young blood in the in the industry, and he was from L.A., representing L.A., so he was, like, the new guy that was going to be waving the flag for Los Angeles, like, in the streets and in hip-hop. So I had shot him a few times and met up with him and we we were going to do the his first album cover it was supposed to be on Virgin Records and I had um told him that like I had a plan for his album cover and his what we what we should do and he loved it and it was um 
to shoot a day in the life of Nipsey, like him in the hood and him doing his thing. And and then we're going to, because I was friends with a, my friend Casey, owned a gallery called Known Gallery. And at the same time, I was doing collaborations with Nick from Diamond Supply. So I, my idea was to shoot the album packaging, use those same photos in an art show at Known Gallery, and use some of the same photos to do a collaboration with Diamond as an introduction to his merch for this this album. Wow. And that would be the album release party. You you say, hey, album release party, Known Gallery, and at the Diamond store, they're next to each other on Fairfax. And we're going to have the clothes come out at Diamond and the show in Known Gallery. And that, and all the work that you were going to see was part of the packaging. When you bought the CD, you open it up and it was all right there. Him getting, him not doing the record with Virgin, that, that whole idea went away. Yep. And he came out with an album, you know, a couple of years later. But that was a plan and we both thought it was great and it kind of like... When something doesn't go down, you know, like because of a corporate company or something like that, it kind of like puts like a little, you know, bump in the road. Yeah. But and that's kind of what happened, you know. But I ended up shooting him more for magazines and stuff. I shot him for Double XL and then the cover of Ryan Magazine, which was a West Coast hip hop magazine that came out back then. Yeah. And shooting him, you could feel that, you know, new young energy. You know that that was ready to come out and you know put the smash down, and the music was good, the the beats were good, like everything was you know perfect, and you know then he got on doing his career and and when that happened, it was kind of like it happened at a time where he was doing a lot giving back into the community, which is something that I've done through my whole career in every kind of way. I've given, you know, people job opportunities, helped them out in numerous ways. And um, so I I related to what he was doing. And um, I was like, man, you know, like, it's crazy that, that somebody that does so much good, you know, in the, in a minute could be taken away from you, you know. And not from you as a person, but you as like, you know, a community as far as the community he lived in and his community in the music industry and his family. And he was doing a lot for all that. And um, it was just kind of sad, you know, and he was so young. And, but you see, you know, a lot of the greats, they get taken away at an early age, Yeah, you know, like, there was that that whole thing of the twenty seven year curse, like with Janis oh, yeah. Joplin, Jim Morrison, Hendrix. Yep. You know, there's all these weird superstitions, and you know who knows what, you know what it is about that. But it's just crazy to see like how much good talent gets taken away at such an early age. Yeah. Even like with like Mac Miller. Yeah, that was that was sad. That was it was cool. I got to shoot him too. You know. Mm-hmm. But uh. I just trip out on, in my book, there's like the whole back few pages is yeah, all people that I've shot that have passed away. Yeah, it's like DJ AM. DJ AM, Anthony Bourdain, Mac Miller, my mom, her husband, um, different friends of mine, you know, that Bronson. Yeah. yeah. A bunch of different friends of mine that passed away, Trig, Spanky, you know, guys that I was close with or people that I just shot, you know, for for a day, but... 
it's just because you don't know them and you only got to shoot them for a certain amount of time mm. it's your photo that keeps their legacy alive forever yeah you know like i'll be able to post photos of jenny rivera you know forever she's gone but at least my photos will keep her in people's minds or something like that you know people remember their work and things like that the camera you yeah. know they they see your photos you know and that brings back the memory yeah for of sure. the person and you know it's just cool having that yeah definitely a couple more questions i'll let you go go for it all right um sunday who cares all right cool man i appreciate it uh yeah you mentioned anthony bourdain uh that that must have been pretty amazing like you were on the show and i was watching like the clip it was it was like i think you and mr cartoon got profiled yeah. on there uh what was that experience like because like when that guy passed away i mean my brother were talking about it it was like the response it, it was it was wild like this amount of people that like came out and like were the fans of him and everything um i guess what was kind of your experience kind of working on that with him uh my friend david cho he's an artist um legendary legendary that's for sure I wish he still had it. His podcast he had, DVD ASA, was oh, yeah. so, he had it for a couple of years. It was so good. It was deep. Yeah. Um, he's the one who hooked me up with the Anthony Bourdain the first time. Mm -hmm. I took Anthony Bourdain around in a, in a lowrider. And um, I had like, I think four or five of my friends from my car club rolling with us. Because David was like, hey, Anthony Bourdain's coming to L.A. I'm going to show him Koreatown. You know, you should show him the, the you know, low riding and East L.A. scene. I was like, yeah, yeah, hook it up. Yep. And he came down and me and David talked to him. And, and then we took him off for a ride in the low riders. And that was fun. And then the next time Anthony came, he was like, hey, I'm, you know, we're coming to L.A. We want to feature you in Cartoon. Um, maybe you guys take us to a taco spot and we had a taco spot that I used to go to like every other night it was called La Reina and uh, there was like an elderly woman who ran it and she kind of reminds me of like you know like my grandma that type of thing like just always warm and smiling and happy and like the food just came across better you know because yeah. it felt like it was coming from like your grandma your nana you know so I was like let's take him there yep and we asked her a couple of days before, you know, and she was cool with it. She says, yeah, bring bring whatever, you know. You know I love, you know, having you guys come here. And she she just wanted, you know, to make us happy because we always came there and always brought people there because yeah. the food was so good. Mm -hmm. And we took, her, took him there and it was great, you know. The food was on point and he loved it. He's like, hey, man, this, this is pretty good here. And we got him these, I think, uh, chorizo mulitas, which is um, chorizo pork yeah. sausage with cheese and, and tortillas, two tortillas. So it's kind of like a quesadilla with chorizo in it. Mm -hmm. But it's off the chain. Like the, it's just amazing. <laughs> and was like, was like the low riding culture, were they like welcoming, welcoming to him to come in? Because I'm sure like tons of journalists and photographers want to parachute in and like get get their couple snaps but where do you feel like it, did, he kind of showed respect or they were pretty welcoming him to him kind of documenting their culture pretty much yeah because it was my friends you know so my friends trust me that i'm not going to bring in some you know culture vultures that are just 
coming in to use up our shit and and take off you know mm-hmm. which uh you know a lot of people try to do like they they try to i just try to do because no matter what people are going to do that people are going to go if they want low riding they're going to get it yeah so it's up to you to take them under your wing and show them the right way yeah you know show them the right thing and like you know, because sometimes Hollywood people like to come in and clown the, clown it. You know, they like, oh, let's get the little bouncing cars, you know, the little Mexican jumping bean cars, you know, or some stupid shit and make us look stupid, you know. Yeah. But I, I make sure they do it the right way with respect and class and style. Learn the history of it. Yeah, like just do the shit right, you know, have the right cars in there. Don't make us look, you know, don't make us look like a joke, you know. Mm-hmm. And, um just do the shit right Mm -hmm. and so when they come to me i get my homies and we bring out our rides and you know it's it's done right and is that something as a photographer like i'm sure you get thrown into situations where you're photographing um different cultures and different people um you might not know a lot about do you will you do a lot of research on a subject or whatever you're covering or do you kind of go into it in this kind of this talk to people or how do you kind of deal with those situations where you're kind of walking into a new new culture or place or person i guess it depends if i have time mm-hmm. you know if i have time to research it i will if i don't then i just make sure that whoever's bringing me in i go with what they say you know i respect i just go in with 100 percent respect and if i don't know something about something i'm not a know-it-all yeah i i go with the people that i'm going with and i let listen to them what they tell me this is how it is and anything else is disrespectful so i go okay cool that's the way i'm gonna shoot it that's the way i'm gonna approach it yeah and that's what i do and i think pretty much everybody has loved what i do and thought it was cool and you know what they do probably get mad about is i can't get them their pictures fast enough you know everybody's like hey can i get that shot you shot of me today i'm like well homie you know i did it on film the guy takes a couple days in the weekend i'll probably you know it's tuesday i'll probably have it for you next monday why i gotta wait so long everybody else will send it to me on my phone i go this is film yeah there's a certain technique that goes with it you know so Mm -hmm. you know people are just impatient they want everything like fast food they want it like the the Popeye's chicken sandwich to come out, you know, <laughs> and be great. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I, the pictures will be good. You don't got to worry about that. It'll just take a little bit longer. Craftsmanship. Right. Um, I guess this is my last question to wrap up. Oh, shit. Uh, <laughs> no, it's good. Um, you've traveled all around the world from your tour managing to with all your photography. You've met all different types of people all different types of countries um what is it about los angeles that this keeps you here what do you love about it it's my home you know i got la in my blood and um i wouldn't have any other way i've been to 56 countries i've seen a lot of places that i like that i love that i've gone back to multiple times you know i've been to bangkok with my boy right here went there eight years in a row I've been to other countries, you know, multiple times I loved, you know, Japan, Europe, Italy, London, France, um, Germany, Brazil. You know, there's just a lot of places that I love to go to over and over. But L.A. is my home. This is what I know. And I just like photography is so, so hard to to get work at that you have to be connected in some kind of way to make a living 
and LA is where all my connections are and it's my home base so people know that if they want me you know I'm here in LA they uh, they don't got to go looking for me all over the world you know like oh I think he was in I think he lives in New York now or I think he lives in you know Paris now or something it's like they yep. know Esteban is in LA you know I'm not hard to find and this is you know where else could I low ride yep. you know what I mean I mean this is it for me yep. I couldn't I wouldn't want to move to another place and I like, have to move my shit there you know yeah man and my low rider all my memories and all my shit all over the place just want to keep it here I like it well Estevan I can't thank you enough like I said I've been a big fan of your work uh, for years so it's a real pleasure talking to you and for people listening um, where's the best place to check out uh, your work and then I think if they want to pick up your new book this is Los Angeles they can get on your website correct yeah estevanoriel.com and at estevanoriel on all social media well not all I mean Facebook Twitter and Instagram Instagram, that's about it I can't keep up with all the new shit (laughs) yeah I got it well uh, I'll link it and people can go check it out and uh, thanks so much thank you so there you have it that was the estefan oriel interview um just got to give a big thanks to estefan for taking the time to sit down and speak with me about everything he's done over the course of his career um like i said estefan has been one of my favorite photographers um for a long time so it was a real pleasure getting a chance to speak with him um the guy's this documented so much and it's just a this a force within the photography community and everything he's done documenting los angeles um so definitely go check out estefan's work at estevanoriel.com as well as his instagram at estevanoriel um and definitely pick up a copy of one of his books um his most recent book this is los angeles um is available to purchase on his website estevanoriel.com as well as a few other books he's published over the years um just a really interesting look into los angeles culture and this all the different uh projects that Svon's worked on so definitely go check that out and yeah can't thank you enough i hope you guys enjoyed it and as always i'll be having weekly podcasts every monday on itunes spotify soundcloud as well as my website alexgagnephoto.com as well as my on my instagram at alexgagnephoto Thanks so much for listening and take care.